This morning we're going to begin a new series called So Great a Salvation. It is about all that has been provided for us through Jesus' death and resurrection. It is so great a salvation. Many don't realize just how great. We're going to go to Hebrews chapter 2 and begin with verse 1. Hebrews chapter 2, beginning from verse 1. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. How is it that so many Christians just seem to drift? Some believe in Jesus, and yet they just drift away from truly following Jesus. Some drift away from a closeness that maybe they once had with the Lord. Some just drift away from the call and the purpose of God in their life. How does that happen? He tells us, they don't really give an earnest heed to the things that they've heard. You see, when we hear the Word of God, it's so important that in all sincerity, earnest, with all sincerity, we accept that, we allow it to impact our lives. I think a lot of times today, people get a little confused about this. You see, there's man's opinion, and then there's God's opinion. And when we're hearing the Word of God, that's on a whole different level. You see, for a child of God, listen, you see, it really, really is this way for everybody, but for a child of God, it ought to never even be a question of whether or not we accept the Word of God. That when we hear God's Word, we acknowledge that God has spoken to me. We got to give heed, earnest heed to the Word of God, because here's what happens if you don't, you drift. You drift, you drift in the sea of man's opinion. And I think this and I think that, just a drift. Oh, the only way that we can stay anchored in our faith is we give earnest heed to the Word of God, allow it to truly impact our lives. So I want to encourage you to be careful to take the message of this great salvation to heart and allow it to change you. Amen. Let's read on in verse 2. He says, For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? We can't neglect this great salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. He said, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? You see, God has provided for us so great a salvation. If we neglect it, one translation says, if we're indifferent to it, there is no other way. See, this great salvation that has been provided for us, this is the only way. This is the only way that we can be saved. It's the only way we can have a relationship with God. It's the only way we can be forgiven. It's the only way we can have freedom. It's the only way we can have victory in our life, this great salvation. You know, too many people treat their salvation kind of like a kid does a toy on Christmas morning. You know, they're, they're all excited about it when they first get saved. But then after a little bit, the new wears off and it's just like, you know, old hat. It's no big deal anymore. I want to tell you, we need to be excited about so great a salvation. Whether you got saved yesterday, today, or you were saved 40 years ago, you need to be excited about so great a salvation. Don't neglect it. Don't be indifferent to it. But embrace it and realize what God has done for you in so great a salvation. See, I think a lot of believers just 
don't really understand. There's, there's an indifference because they don't really understand what has been provided to us in this great salvation. A lot of times in the Scripture and in church, and believers just in general, you know, we, we use these terms uh, being saved or salvation, and yet a lot of people don't really fully understand what that means, and especially if you're talking to somebody that's unchurched. Now, I remember when I was a little kid, and even though we went to church some, when people would talk about being saved, I didn't really know what they meant. I mean, I knew it had something to do with, you know, the Lord, and it had something to do with getting to go to heaven instead of hell, but that was about the depth of my understanding of being saved. I was like, saved from what? And I want you to know what we are saved from this morning. I want you to know and understand a little more about what our salvation means. But you just need to re realize that sometimes when you use those terms, people don't even know what you're talking about. And the truth is, is that a lot of believers have a very shallow understanding of what those words mean. See, most people, if you say, what does it mean to be saved? They would, they would say, well, that means that you're going to go to heaven instead of hell. Oh, it certainly means that. Jesus has saved us from an eternity without God. Yes, it means that. But the words in the Greek text translated as salvation and saved mean so much more than that. They also mean to rescue, to deliver, to heal, to make whole. So what are we being saved from? Yes, Jesus rescued us from hell, but it's more than that. Jesus rescues us from the sinful human condition. Ever since the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve fell, man has been in a fallen state, in a sinful condition, and it is sin and guilt and death and sickness and brokenness and separation from God. But Jesus, our Savior, He has saved us from all of that. Oh, so great a salvation. We need to remember to be careful that we never neglect or become indifferent to this salvation. So great a salvation. Let me tell you one of the ways you can know whether or not you're beginning to drift and take it for granted and be indifferent. You stop talking about it to other people. Y'all got quiet. It's worth talking about. It's so great of salvation that man living under this sinful human condition, Jesus has come to save us, to set us free. You know, when you think about what the way it was in the garden when God would come and talk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, how wonderful that is. Did you know that's the way it's supposed to be for us as a child of God, that we just walk and talk with the Lord? You see that sinful human condition? Jesus redeemed us from that. And when they sinned, what happened first? They went and hid. There was guilt. There was shame. I tell you, Jesus came to forgive us, but also to redeem us from that. All that we could truly be free. We need to tell the world about a God who loves them and wants a relationship with them. 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 4. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. He's our Savior. Yes, He is. Who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Who does God want to be saved? All men. 
all men. He desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, I'm saying it over and over again because there is a false doctrine being taught today that God has picked out who can be saved. Well, you and you, but the rest of y'all, y'all are destined for hell and there's nothing you can do about it. No! My God desires that all men be saved. And those who teach that doctrine of demons ignore hundreds of verses of Scripture. God desires that all men be saved. He wants everybody to be saved. It's for all men. We don't get to decide who can be saved and who does it. And guess what? God has given us a free will. He hasn't pre-decided who can be saved. If that was true, that it would say, and God has picked out those that He desires to be saved. It doesn't say that. It says God desires all men to be saved. We need to get this word that God our Savior, we need to get this out, that God forgives and He sets free and He makes whole. I tell you, it's for everybody. It's for everybody who will believe. John 3, 16 and 17 says, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. This is why Jesus came to save us. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He didn't come to condemn or to judge but to save, to rescue us from an eternity separated from God, separated from the one who is life itself. He came to rescue us from judgment and condemnation. He came to rescue us and bring us back into a relationship with the holy God. On the cross, He paid the price for every sin so that we could be forgiven. So great a salvation. Our salvation is so great because of the great price that was paid for it. The precious blood of Jesus purchased so great a salvation. His blood was enough to, to pay for every sin totally and completely. Right. We are forgiven totally and completely. You need to get that because I think a lot of Christians on some level they know they're forgiven and yet there's this cloud of guilt that's always hindering them, always hovering over them. You need to get free from that. Jesus didn't die on a cross and shed his blood so you could be halfway forgiven. You need to know that you are completely forgiven. Listen, without forgiveness... We don't have any hope of eternal life. Without forgiveness, we live under a curse. We can't be blessed. Without forgiveness, there's always this cloud of guilt. But because of Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, we are truly forgiven. You know, to be forgiven is man's greatest need in his sinful human condition. We are all guilty. We all need God's forgiveness. It's universal. 
Romans 3.10 tells us there is none righteous, no, not one. We all know that in our own selves, apart from Jesus, we're not righteous. I mean, even among those who don't believe in God, they consider the self-righteous person to be a pompous fool. Even the world knows better than to think we could be righteous on our own. None of us are righteous on our own. We all are guilty, and we know it, and we need God's forgiveness. All of us know what it is to feel shame and guilt and condemnation. And, you know, in our society, the most popular way to deal with guilt is to blame and to justify. It's all the rage. You can always find somebody or something to blame. I mean, you can blame your parents. You can blame the government. You can blame Hollywood or you can blame your spouse. But it's all the rage to just cast that guilt over onto somebody else and somehow that seems to make us feel a little better. But blame never alleviates the guilt. It's still there. I can still remember some sins I committed as a child. I like to talk about sins I committed, you know, 50 years ago. Just makes me a little more comfortable. So 50 years ago, when I was 10 or 12, there was a couple of kids that lived on my street they had uh, really nice mini bikes. One of them had a Honda, one of them had a Yamaha. And <clears throat> I was spoiled, but I wasn't that spoiled. So me and my two brothers, the three of us, we shared a mini bike with a lawnmower engine. It was not cool. I'm just telling you. But one day I was riding that mini bike down the trail that went to the stores and uh, I'm riding along putting along you know and I I see a five dollar bill now this is in like around 70 to 72 right in there and I will tell you five dollars is a lot of money back then especially for a 10 11 year old boy and I see this five dollar bill I'm like oh wow I, I slow down I lean over I pick it up I go about 50 more feet there's another one I go about 50 more feet. There's another one. I'm like, man, I'm rich. I was so excited. Now, you know, you might think because I'm going to the store, I'm I'm excited about spending some of it. But those of you who know me well, you know I was going to take it all home. But anyway, I'm excited about this 15 bucks. And I go a little further, and here comes uh, Mr. Smarty Pants on his Yamaha. And he slows down. And he says, I slow down, we stop, and we talk. He says, hey, did you see any money? Uh -uh." (laughs) Uh-uh. And I just went right on on my mini bike. Now, you know, I'm sure that I was justifying. I'm sure that I had it all rationalized in my mind. You know, finders keepers, we all know the rule, right? Finders keepers. And, you know, I was thinking, you know... Little smarty pants, rich boy, doesn't need that $15. And I was probably thinking something along the line of, well, you know, I found $15, but that doesn't mean it was his because he lost, maybe somebody else might have lost it. Who knows? <laughs> now, just to, just to make myself feel a little better here, because I'm, I'm way out here right now revealing my sins to you like this. There were many times in my life where I found somebody's wallet or I found some money and I turned it in, I took it to them, I'm just telling you. But I'm not getting to tell you that this morning. I'm getting to tell you about the guilt. Because here's the thing. 
I can still feel guilt about that today. I know I'm forgiven. I know the Lord long ago forgave me. But I just want you to understand that so often guilt can become a burden. It can weigh you down. And over our lives, if we don't really receive that complete forgiveness from the Lord, it can become such a hindrance to our faith and our walk with God. It can torment you. It can cause you to lose confidence. It can undermine your faith and cause you to not be able to believe God that He'll answer your prayers. It can rob you of your sleep. It can even make you sick. In Psalm 38 and 4, David said, My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. Many of us have felt that kind of guilt at some point in our life. We, de- we desperately need to receive God's forgiveness provided to us through so great a salvation. I'm telling you, as a child of God, we've been justified. That means that God sees us just as if I'd never sinned. We have been acquitted from all charges. Listen, everything, everything we were guilty of, through the blood of Jesus, we are totally forgiven. We've been made righteous, not because of anything that we have done, but because Jesus took our sins upon himself. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We need to know that We have so great a salvation when we go to God in prayer that we approach Him as one who is righteous, not self-righteous. No, it is a righteousness by faith freely given to us. And as we come to God in prayer, the promises of God are available to us because there's no cloud of guilt over us. We've been forgiven. So great a salvation tell you forgiveness is our greatest need and it is the key to so many other needs in our life. In Luke chapter 5 beginning in verse 18 there are some men who bring a paralyzed friend to Jesus. Now when they get to the house where Jesus is it's so packed that they can't get their friend in to see Jesus And so they go up on the roof and they remove part of the roof and they start lowering him down with ropes in front of Jesus. I'll tell you, these guys, they were going to get her done one way or another. You know what I'm saying? They had great faith. And when Jesus saw their faith, now listen, here this paralyzed man has been lowered down before Jesus. And so what is Jesus going to do? I mean, come on, he's going to heal him, right? No, he looks at the man and he says, your sins are forgiven. There's the greatest need of man, is to be forgiven for his sins. You see, Jesus looks beyond just the outside and the temporal. And he sees the heart and he knows what we need deep down in our soul. And you see, for this man, who knows but that his guilt might have been a roadblock to his faith to receive the healing that then Jesus would speak to him next. Yes, Jesus healed him. But first, he forgave him. 
And I'm just telling you, this is our deepest need. We need to understand that so much of the time, the problems that we're having in relationships, problems we're having in our relationship with God and, and believing God and in our prayer life, it all has to do with receiving complete and total forgiveness from the Lord. I want you to know that it's a good thing to feel convicted when you're doing wrong. That's a good thing. In fact, you're in bad shape if you don't feel convicted when you do wrong. It is part of the work of the Holy Spirit. He came to convict, and He convicts us of sin so that we'll repent, so that we'll do right. But too often, churches become dispensers of guilt, where people are guilted into worshiping. People are guilted into giving, guilted into serving, guilted to obey the Lord, guilted into everything. I want you to know, that is not the way it's supposed to be. God doesn't use guilt just to make you feel bad to get you to do something. I want to say it again, it's a good thing to be convicted by the Holy Spirit so that you will repent and do right. But we don't use guilt as a motivation. That's called manipulation. We obey God because we love Him. Jesus says, you know that one that loves me because He obeys me. If we really love Him, we'll obey Him. We really love Him, we'll worship Him. If we really love Him, we'll give. If we really love Him, we want to serve and work for Him. That's our motivation always. We love Him. And I want, that to, I want that to be real clear. I want that to always come across in this church. That this is why we do what we do. It is because we love God. Not because we've been guilted into something. Oh, I guess I got to do That's miserable. But when you do it because you love Him, oh, there's joy in that. There's such, you know, God loves a cheerful giver. Well, how do you be cheerful? Because you love Him and you give out of love and worship to Him. That's right. I want us to go to John chapter 8. There's a famous story. Some people call it the story of the adulterous woman. I call it the story of the forgiveness of the Savior. But John chapter 8, we get in from verse 2. It says, early in the morning he came again into the temple and all the people came to him and they sat down. And he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. Now listen, the Bible says she was caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. They're trying to find a way to accuse Jesus of doing wrong. So if, she, if he says that she should be stoned, they can accuse him to the Romans because he did not have any right or authority for, to command that somebody be stoned. This is why the Jewish leaders had to get the Romans to crucify Jesus. They didn't have the authority to do it themselves. But if Jesus says that she should be forgiven, then they're going to say that you're violating the law of God. Either way, they're going to try to accuse him. So you know what Jesus says? He doesn't say anything. But Jesus stooped down 
and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down, wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, listen, being convicted by their conscience. Oh, they were convicted. They went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. We don't really know what Jesus was writing on the ground. Many have speculated that he might have been writing out their names. Or he might have been listing out their sins. But it is interesting that they went away from the oldest to the youngest. I think maybe that's because the older we get, the longer our list is. Right? Okay. Mm-hmm. You must have a lot of older people here this morning like me. You've got a long list. It's not funny. Okay. But we, also, we do know this, though, is that they were convicted by their conscience. You know, the law said that this woman who committed adultery should be stoned. And they bring this woman before Jesus, and they said that she was caught in the very act. Where's the man? They're such hypocrites. What's really going on here? is that they're going to sacrifice this woman's life to try to get Jesus. Oh, that's, the way, that's ugly. That's ugly religion is what that is. But Jesus doesn't play. Jesus doesn't go along with them. And instead, Jesus forgives this woman. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. You see, he didn't come to condemn. He came to save. And Jesus forgave this woman. He gave her a new beginning. Go and sin no more. And I want you to know this morning that God forgives you and He will give you a new beginning. I also, though, want to make the point this morning that none of those people had a right, had any reason to be able to throw a stone at this woman because they were all guilty themselves. And neither do we. We do not have the right to throw stones at anybody. And not just with your hands, but with your mouths. You know, we say that thing to kids, oh, sticks and stones will break your bones, but words will never hurt you. What a lie. Words hurt people all the time. And I'm telling you, as a child of God, we who are the recipients of His great grace and forgiveness, we have no right to throw stones at another sinner. Jesus doesn't condemn but he forgives. And he wants you to have a new beginning. Guilt can enslave you. And I want to tell you, Satan knows that a child of God, there's just no limit to what God can do in your life. But if you get under a cloud of condemnation and guilt, oh, how it hinders you in what you do for God and what you believe for God to do in your life. 
But you need to know this, that our God forgives completely. You ever feel like you're sort of, maybe even mostly forgiven? He forgives completely. Psalm 103, verse 10 through 12, says, He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward those who fear Him. As far as the east from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. You can go visit the North Pole. You can go visit the South Pole. I don't know why you'd want to, but you can if you want to. But you can go west, and you will never find the West Pole. You can go east, and you will never find the East Pole. You can go to infinity, and that's how far God has removed our sins from us. They're gone. He forgives totally and completely. And I want you to hear this this morning. He wants to forgive you. You don't have to pry it out of his hand. He wants to forgive you. Isaiah 43, 25. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgression for my own sake. Not just for your sake, for his sake. And I'll remember them no more. I will not remember your sins, he says. How can that be? How can the omniscient God, the one who knows everything, how can he just not remember? I want you to understand this morning, it doesn't mean that God has no recollection of it. Now think about this. Moses' sin, and David's sin, and Paul's sin, and Peter's sin, and a whole bunch of other people's sin is all recorded in the Scripture. You think God doesn't know about it? It's recorded in His Word. He knows about it. But he chooses not to remember it. He doesn't consider that. He doesn't look at that. He looks at us through the blood of Jesus as though we have never sinned. He doesn't remember it anymore. He puts it aside. And I'll tell you, if we confess our sins to him, he forgives us and he won't bring it up again. If it gets brought up, it wasn't God that brought it up. But when somebody believes in Jesus as their Savior, He forgives. No matter what they've done, there's forgiveness. What if they murdered Christians? The Apostle Paul, who persecuted Christians and stood by in support of those that stoned Stephen to death. He says in 1 Timothy Chapter 1, verse 15, he says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Why did he come? To save sinners. So great a salvation. And then he says this, Of whom I am chief. He says, I'm the worst. And God saved him. And so I don't know what you might have done, but I want to tell you, It's not too much for the blood of Jesus. Don't discount the blood of Jesus. It is of great value. It is more than enough. It has paid completely the price of your sin. God used Paul so powerfully 
because he was forgiven. You need to know there's no limit to what God can do in your life if you understand that you have been completely forgiven. Sometimes a child of God, they just feel like they've gone too far, too many mistakes. Many years ago, I was at a family gathering and a relative approached me and said, hey, I need to talk to you. And we couldn't really get any privacy there with all the family around, so we went for a ride in the car. And uh, this relative had been brought up in church, and he had gotten out of church and, you know, lived a sinful life. And he said, he said, I've done terrible things, horrible things. He said, I can't even tell you the things that I've done. How can God ever forgive me? I said, the same way he forgives me. I'm not righteous. I need God's forgiveness and cleansing. I need God's provision of a Savior, the blood of Jesus, to wash my sins. The same way that my wife, who has served God all of her life, is forgiven by the blood of Jesus. He got back in church and... I believe he renewed his relationship with the Lord. But I just want you to understand that no matter what you've done, no matter what's gone on, no matter how many times you've failed, there's forgiveness that's available to you. It is so great a salvation. Amen. He forgives completely. Micah 7, 18 and 19 says, Who is a God like you pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. They're gone. They've been cast into the depths of the sea. You take a handful of quarters and you go out on the ocean and you throw them out over the water and you let them sink. Do you think you're ever going to find a single one of them again? No, they're just gone. No, i got some right here in my pocket. You need to get rid of that. You need to turn that over to God. Receive the forgiveness that He has so freely given to us. This great salvation, I'm telling you, it brings forgiveness for all who believe. How do you receive this forgiveness? you got to believe. You've got to believe in Jesus as your Savior, as the one who died to pay the price for your sins, the spotless Lamb of God who takes away our sin. You've got to believe. It's by faith that we are made righteous, that we are justified. We don't deserve it, but He's just that good, and we believe. Next, we need to admit our sin. Did you know that when you got born again, you had to come to Jesus as a sinner? You have to come to Jesus knowing that you need a Savior. But I want you to understand this morning, we still need a Savior. It's so great a salvation, but we still need a Savior to forgive us and to cleanse us. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
Now, some people turn this into a bondage where, you know, especially years ago, there used to be a lot of people that kind of thought this way, where they think that every, every tiny little sin that they might have committed, they got to remember them all so they can confess them all. And, and I don't know about you, but that'd take me hours a day. And what if I miss one? That's not what it's talking about. But you see, when you feel convicted, or when you feel guilty... Listen, you need to go to God and confess that to God, whatever it is. You need to get free from that. You need to turn that over to God. And He has promised, He says, He is faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There is a freedom that comes when we admit See, that's, we say confess, but that's what we're talking about here is that we're willing to admit it to God that I'm doing wrong. I've done wrong. Now, I know there are some people that say, oh, I don't have to confess anything. That would be a work. No, we're not talking about a work. We're talking about faith with works, a living faith. We're talking about being willing to do what the Scripture says and confess it to God, to admit it to God. You know, when people say, well, I don't have to, I don't have to do that, there is always something in their life that they don't want to admit is sin. Oh, how much better to confess it to God and get free. To know that the guilt is gone. How much better. The great King David, of course, committed great sin, but he found forgiveness when he confessed his sin. Psalm 32, 1 through 5, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said I will confess my transgression to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. That's how you get rid of that burden of guilt. You just confess it to God and he forgives and he cleanses. You know, I know there are people who don't believe that any of the Old Testament applies to us. I believe it does. Jesus used the Old Testament all the time. So does the Apostle Paul. It applies to us. Then there are even those who don't believe that the teachings of Jesus apply to us. They just want to take everything before the cross and they say, nope, that's not for us. Nope, that's not for us. Nope, that's not for us. One time I was speaking from the Sermon on the Mount and talking about what Jesus said about divorce and adultery and those kinds of things. A man comes up to me after the service, sticks his finger in my face. He says, you're not preaching that right. That's only for the Jews. I believe the Sermon on the Mount is for me. I believe the teachings of Jesus are for me. I'm following Jesus and I want to learn from him. And you know, the disciples said to Jesus, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Well, that was a good request. And people have been saying that prayer ever since. But it needs to be more than just a ritual to us. Jesus said, pray like this. In the New King James, it says, pray after this manner. (laughs) Pray like this. And he gets to verse, Matthew 6, verse 12, he gets to this part of the prayer. He says, 
and forgive us our debts. Jesus taught us to ask God for forgiveness. Forgive us our debts. And then he says this, as we forgive our debtors. And as soon as he finishes the prayer, verse 14, he says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. You see, when we refuse to forgive others, we burn the bridge of forgiveness over which we ourselves have to cross. How can we ever truly believe from the heart that a holy, righteous God would forgive one such as I if I can't even forgive another sinner? And if we say that it doesn't apply to us, then we are hypocrites to ever pray the Lord's Prayer, to pray a prayer that doesn't mean anything and doesn't apply to us. It's just a vain repetition that they're saying. But rather, if we believe the words of Jesus and what He taught here, that we say, forgive me as I forgive others, You see, it can be so hard and so difficult to forgive others sometimes, but not when we do it in prayer, not when we have God's help. Are you hearing me? You see, when we're praying and we say, Father, forgive me as I forgive others, I'm telling you, you're bringing God into the equation. You can do it. And Jesus commands us to. In fact, Jesus taught about forgiveness over and over and over again and reject Jesus' teaching on forgiving others. You just got to reject a whole bunch of the the teachings of Jesus because it's in there so many times. And I'm just telling you, if you can't forgive others, there will always be a cloud of guilt over yourself because you know deep down in your heart that if you can't forgive them, how can God truly forgive you? Oh, I tell you, He can, but He expects you to be willing to forgive others as well. Listen, so great a salvation brought to us by the blood of Jesus, and it brings to us so much freedom, so much victory to to get that guilt out of our life that we can stand before God as righteous forgiven totally and completely, that we can come to the throne of grace, that we can even come, Hebrews tells us, that we can come into the holy place. Listen, there is no barrier between us and God when we truly receive His complete forgiveness. He doesn't treat us as second-class citizens because you know what you've done. Listen, that's gone. When you truly receive His forgiveness, you need to realize that He looks at you as His son or daughter with no guilt on you. Listen, all of that has been washed away. And when a son or daughter of God sins and they turn to Him, I tell you, He is ready to forgive. We see this in the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. Jesus illustrates to us the forgiveness of the father. The father 
Well, you know the story. I'm not going to take time to read it today, but this, this son wants his inheritance so that he can go and do what he wants, and he goes out in sinful living, and he wastes all of his inheritance. And then when he's in the pig pen and wanting to eat the pig food, he finally realizes, he says, even the servants in my father's house have food to eat. I'll go to my father and I'll make myself like one of his hired servants. So he goes home with the hope that he'll get at least to be made a servant. But Jesus says that the father saw him a long way off. I want you to know this is the heart of our father towards the one that has gone out into sin and rebellion and disobedience to God. He's watching and waiting and looking for them to turn for home. He loves us so much. And then Jesus says that he ran to meet him. This is the only time in Scripture that that God is ever depicted as running. He ran to meet him and he embraced him and he wept. This is the heart of God towards us. You see, the devil wants to beat you down under condemnation and keep you there. I'm telling you, your heavenly Father loves you. And he doesn't want to just... You know, keep you as a second-class citizen. No, he says to that son, he says, he says, bring the best robe for him. Bring shoes for his feet. Bring a ring for his finger. That was a symbol of the family. He said, he didn't say, oh, this servant. He said, my son has come home. And then they had to have a big party. Jesus says there's rejoicing in heaven when one sinner turns to God. Just one. I'm telling you, this is the heart of our Father. He loves us. He forgives us. And you need to realize, oh, so great a salvation. And this is where it begins, that we're forgiven. One last verse. This is one of my favorites. Psalm 86 and 5. For you... Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. He's ready to forgive. He's not mad. He's ready to forgive. He doesn't have to think about it. He's not going to make you pay. You can't pay by doing penance. Now, if there's restitution that you can make to somebody that you wronged, you should do that. But you can't do penance for God. The only way is through the blood of Jesus, and it's already been paid. He's ready to forgive. You don't have to wait. You don't have to go to guilt jailhouse. You know what I'm saying? You know, you got to feel bad for... A period of time, I mean, the bigger the sin, the longer you got to feel bad. No, you need to go to God who is ready to forgive. Think about that. He's ready to forgive. It's already been provided for us, and we need to ask God for forgiveness. You don't have to suffer. You don't have to do time. You just need to receive the forgiveness that He so freely gives. The Lamb of God, He took our punishment. This forgiveness is for you. Listen, total and complete forgiveness.
Stand with me. We're going to pray, and I want our prayer partners to come.